This episode of the Tony Robbins Podcast is brought to you by Tony Robbins Results Coaching. Whatever area in your life you want to change, your relationship, your health, your career, or your business, coaching is one of the most valuable tools you can have. It's an investment in yourself, and it can yield some of the highest returns. Tony Robbins Results Coaches are hand-selected and trained by the master of coaching, Tony Robbins himself, to have the skills that will empower you with supreme focus, powerful insight, and the accountability needed to achieve everything you've ever dreamed. To help you get started, Tony is offering podcast listeners a free results coaching strategy session with one of his top coaches, a $200 value. Visit TonyRobbins.com forward slash results and schedule your free session today. We all experience fear, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear that we're just not enough. Fear is a common current that runs through all of our lives. You could be fearful of failing in business or in a relationship. You could be fearful of death or of not living life to its fullest. You could be fearful of asking your boss for a raise or of your friends and family for not accepting who you are. For so many people, fear rules their lives. And in some cases, it can be paralyzing. What do you do when you're faced with your biggest fear? I mean, I get emotional just thinking about driving out of the valley that day. That was without a doubt, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I did not want to leave. I had, I had no desire to not be there, but I also knew that I needed, you know, you don't wake up on the morning of the greatest achievement of your life and, and, and snuggle your partner and think, Oh, I just want to stay under the covers a little bit longer. You, you have to be in a totally different mode. And I wanted him to have every single advantage that was really important. Like that was probably the only thing I really could give Alex in that whole process really was to be able to walk away that day. And, um, the voice you just heard was Sonny McCandless, who you might recognize from the Oscar winning documentary free solo. The documentary follows Sonny's boyfriend, Alex Honnold, as he attempts to climb Al Capitan, the 3000 foot granite face looming over Yosemite Valley without any ropes or safety harnesses. Over 30 climbers have died making that same attempt. And if he fell even as little as 50 feet, he could die instantly, a fact which Sonny knew well. Sonny is an expert at dealing with fear in her own right. You'll hear more from her later on the podcast. But not all fears are about life and death. In most cases, we magnify our fears and make them bigger than they actually are. And if we let it, fear can prevent us from reaching our true potential. But there's also a way that fear can serve a valuable purpose, helping us break through the frustration to achieve the life we truly desire. Regardless of what we may fear and how we experience fear, we all can use it to make us stronger and better. In this episode, we're diving into fear, how it shows up in our lives, and how we handle it in different ways. You're going to hear more from Sonny, and you're also going to hear from another extraordinary woman, Siri Lindley, world champion triathlete and coach, who, at one point in her life, was so crippled by her own fears that she could barely leave her own house. These two women have intensely personal stories to share. 
But first, here's Tony on how he has used his own fear to become a successful entrepreneur and impact the lives of millions of people. I'm not here because I'm some superhuman guy who's so brilliant. I'm here because I've conditioned this mind, this body, this emotion to deliver whether I want to or not, whether I feel like it or not, whether I'm whether it succeeds or not, I learn from everything. So you need to give yourself room. What will give you out of the fear is not trying to be perfect, not thinking everything has to work this moment, and knowing that you're going to go through a learning process and that the learning process is going to make you more successful long-term than you could ever imagine. Most people overestimate what they're going to do in a year, and they underestimate what they're going to do in a decade or two. And that 10 years is going to come by really, really fast. So You know, people say fear is false evidence appearing real. I think F-E-A-R stands for fuck everything and run. Excuse my French, but that's how most people respond to fear. And what I've done with fear is turned on itself. I was more afraid of having a life that wasn't meaningful. I was more afraid of giving up. I was more afraid of settling than I was of what might happen if I try and it doesn't work. If I try and it doesn't work, what do you do? Get, dust yourself off, get off, learn and do it again. And that's why I said you want to do repetitions in the study of this. So it gets in your body, not just one time, but also I just really hope that you'll give yourself that room to think. Now, how do I, the room to to learn, I should say, how do I uh, condition this mind and body? I still do it. I start every morning, even here in Fiji, in my resort here, my homes around the world, I'm privileged to have multiple homes, and but in all of them, I have a cold plunge. And I start my morning by jumping in that damn cold plunge and it's 56 degrees in my home in Sun Valley, I jump in the river. And sometimes, you know, it's snowing there and the river can be, you know, 35, 36 degrees. There's never a day when I wake up and go, I can't wait to jump in that water. Never. I've been doing it for more than half a decade, maybe six, seven, eight years now. I, I, I don't ever want to do it, but I do it. Why do I do it? Well, there's a health benefit, obviously. Jumping in that cold flushes the blood through your whole organ system so fast. It moves your lymph. It has a great health purpose. But the main reason is I train myself not to negotiate with myself. Do you know what I mean? I don't go to the edge of the water and go, well, maybe the, maybe in a minute, maybe tomorrow, maybe in, a, maybe in 15 minutes, maybe. Let me, let me get ready. I just walk up and go, go. I command and demand. And I wasn't able to do that in the beginning, but I made myself do it. And so it's a discipline to say, I don't negotiate with myself. I don't negotiate with my fear. Fear still shows up for me at times in situations. It's, it's more rare because you're not afraid of tying your shoes. You've done it 10 million times, right? So I've done so many things so often in so many different ways. I have, I have a certain level of certainty. But there's so many things I take on, new businesses, new experiences, new events, new challenges that will bring that up. It's, it's part of being human. I just, I just, I don't, you know, there's a, there was a movie I saw years ago. I think it was called A Beautiful Mind. You may have seen it. It was a true story about this man who was a genius. I think he was a mathematician, but he was losing his mind regularly. Crazy. It's going totally crazy. Being put in institution. It was just a genius of a man. And there was a line in the movie I'll never forget because he ended up, uh, I don't know, it was winning a Nobel Prize or something like that in the end. And they asked him, how did you manage this? Because he was schizophrenic. He had these crazy things. And he said, you know what I learned? Every day, whatever you feed grows. If you feed your fear, if you think about more things to be fearful, it'll grow and it'll start to control you. What I do is I feed my certainty. I demand it. I put it in my body. I I drill it into my nervous system. So the cold plunge is just one of those ways. I mean, in 42 years, I've never missed one seminar, not one in history. It didn't matter what was going on with my body. The mind is more powerful if you learn to direct it. If you don't direct it, if you don't shape it, if you don't condition it, it'll mess with you. And so... I guess what I really want you to realize is 
You don't have to feel good to do this. I don't give a shit how you feel. I don't give a shit how I feel. I don't feel like doing a lot of things, but I always do it because I've trained my nervous system to do that. And if you would just develop that discipline, oh my gosh, my friends, it will free you of so much. It'll help you achieve more than the people around you because most people, you know, they want to feel a certain way before they do it. Screw that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't give a shit if I feel like it. It needs to be done because I'm trying to serve something bigger than myself. I think well, to help you, I think you need a couple of things. So let me offer you one to start with here. Stop the habit of thinking you have to feel good. Do it anyway. Train yourself. Jump in the cold water. Don't negotiate with yourself. Just make action the way you do it. The only way through fear is massive action. And if you don't have any real fear, you're not growing, right? If, if everything's easy, then, then where's the joy in all this stuff? The joy comes from the breakthroughs, my friends. The joy comes from overcoming. The joy comes from saying, this is hard as hell and I made myself do it. That's where inner pride comes from. And I just want, I want to invite you to realize you don't need to be superhuman. You just have to discipline your disappointment, discipline your fear. If you don't, your disappointment either destroys you or drives you and you get to choose. And, it, and fear, by the way, is a habit. So is courage. By the way, courage does not mean that you're not afraid. Courage means you're scared, but you do it anyway. If you're not afraid, there's no courage. It doesn't require courage if you're not afraid. So now, where does the fear come from? It comes from focus. So if we want to control our fear, there's a couple of ways to do it. But one is to really change our focus, to direct our focus. Because if you don't direct it, you're in trouble. So here's my question for you. I want to give you a test. And I, I do this in some of my big life seminars. There are three decisions that really control your entire life. They control how you feel in this moment right now. They control what you'll do or not do. They control the results of your life. What are those three decisions? Let's go through them for a moment. Decision one, what are you going to focus on? See, every moment of your life, you have to make this decision. Now, most people make this decision unconsciously. Like, they let the environment trigger their focus. You know, their fear gets triggered. That something happens in the environment. Somebody's upset about something, and they let their focus go there. One pattern of focus that everybody has. We got to, like, something happens, we got to focus. Right now, I can focus on the water behind me. I can focus on the flowers behind, around me. I can focus on what I'm going to say to you. I can focus on what I think about next. I can focus on am I hungry. There's, I can focus on my clothing against my skin. There are a million things to focus on. But we have certain patterns of focus that control our life. You know, patterns, that's what shapes you. If you think, oh, I'm fearful, you're not fearful. You have a pattern of letting fear dominate you or let fear be the first place you go. I had a pattern of that also. I had to develop a new pattern. I had to condition myself to have a pattern of more certainty. Doesn't mean I'm perfectly certain, but a lot more than usual. So do you tend to focus more on what you have or what's missing is the first question. When I ask this question to main audiences and groups of 10, 15, 20,000 people, usually two-thirds of the audience are more, 80% or more, focus on what's missing. So I want you to think about it. If you're always focusing on what's missing, how are you ever going to really have a quality life? How are you going to enjoy your life? Because it doesn't matter how good it is, the mind is looking for what's missing and the mind gets what it looks for. You know, I do a seminar and seminars and people look around and say, you know, find everything in the room where you are right now that's brown. You can do it right now. Brown clothing, brown people, brown anything. Try it right now. Look around. Wherever you are, look around. Find everything that's brown. Look above you, around you, behind you. And then close your eyes. And with your eyes closed, tell me everything you just saw that's red. <laughs> now, when I do this with people, people smile because they see a lot more brown than red. Open your eyes and look for red. Anywhere you can find red. Look for red anywhere in the room, around you, anything that's red. Did you find more red this time? 
course you did. Because whatever you look for, seek and you shall find. In fact, seek and you shall find if it's not there. If you're looking for, how many of you saw beige stuff and called it brown just to feel successful? <laughs> we find stuff that isn't there. How many saw burgundy and called it red to feel successful? So what I want you to get is we get what we focus on. We get what we look for. And if you're always looking like what's missing for your life, you'll never feel whole. You'll never feel strong. If you look for what's missing in your ability to deliver in this business, then you're never going to get started at the full level. Or you're never going to give it your all. So the first focus is you've got to learn to focus on what you have so you fill up. And that's true in this business. And it's true in what you're going to deliver. Second pattern. Do you have tend to focus more on what you can control or what you can't control? What you can control or what you can't control? Which one do you tend to do more often? Now, when I go to seminars, people often say I focus more on what I can control. Thank God. Because if you're always focused on what you can't control and what's missing, you're going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to feel fearful. You're going to feel pissed off. You're going to feel frustrated. You're going to feel stressed. Can you see that pattern? It doesn't matter who you are. You got to focus on what you have and you got to focus on what you can control, not what you can't control. And then the third question is, do you tend to focus more on the past, the present, or the future? Where do you spend more of your time? Most people in my seminars, the small number is focused on the past. Um, you know, the only purpose of the past is to, to learn something you can invest in the future. Do you focus more on the present or do you focus more on the future? Most achievers, most people in the seminars say, I focus on the future. They're anticipating. It's one of the reasons they come. They want to take control of their life and take it to another level and shape their future. But you've got to be able to enjoy the present if you're going to really, truly have a fulfilled life and the future. It's a combination of those two. So learning control your focus is everything. So how do we control our focus? How do we train it? In order to keep this tight, I'm going to send you a tool. I'm going to send two tools, but one of them is called priming. And this is what I do. I don't wake up in the morning and hope that I'm going to feel good. There are days when I feel like hell. My back hurts. My throat hurts. I wake up. I don't know what country I'm in. I'm like, what the hell's going on? But it doesn't matter how I feel. I change how I feel and I step up and deliver always or I wouldn't be Tony Robbins. You wouldn't be talking to me right now. You wouldn't be looking out for me. I've done this for 42 years. There's no limit to what I'm going to do. And the way I do that is I focus on serving. But another part of what makes that work is I believe in something called priming. And priming for me just simply means most of us think our decisions are being shaped by our own thinking. But our own thinking and decisions are often shaped very deeply and unconsciously by the environment we're in and by our conditioning. So I start every day of my life by training my mind, my heart, my body, and priming. So jumping in the cold water is one way of priming. It's a very disciplined way of doing it. But I have a breathing pattern that I teach, and a meditation lasts 10 minutes, and I call it priming. And I do it in all my live seminars. And so many of you have not been to them. So I'm going to put a video up afterwards that you can download. And that video will allow you to be able to um, do this priming process. I do it every morning, minimum five days a week. And it will get you to start to train yourself to get over the fear. So what you need to overcome your fear is, number one, stop the habit of being fearful. Oftentimes when you're fearful, there's some fear, but there's some excitement too. Focus on the excitement. I mean, when people say I'm really fearful, I say, put a big smile on your face. They go, why is the smile really big? And what happens is that energy becomes excitement by just changing your facial muscles. So it's a habit to be fearful. It's a habit to have courage. But you need to train yourself to say, stop using I'm so fearful. Stop using the language of it because it put you in that state. Do something every day that gets you in a strong state to start, where you train yourself to discipline your disappointment or just move forward. No longer have the belief system that I have to feel good to go do this. I don't give a damn if I feel good. 
Focus on what matters most, well, who you want to serve, what you want to deliver, not whether they're going to like it or not. Some people like it, some won't. And if it doesn't work in the first time, you'll figure out how to do it better the second time. And each time you'll get better and better if you just keep changing your approach and learning for each one. Stop pressuring yourself to try to do it all. Priming is one way that Tony changes his focus and gets ready for his day. But a lot of other people you may know do too, like author and podcaster Tim Ferriss and Joe Gebbia, a co-founder of Airbnb. To learn more about priming and watch a video on how to do it yourself and start your day like Tony Robbins, go to www.tonyrobbins.com priming. I think the most powerful thing when you have any goal, you're going to, it's going to be scary. You're going to be afraid, but you have to do it anyway. You have to take those risks. And what is it that makes it worth our while to take those huge risks? To me, I think it's it's that that why behind, you know, why you must take this risk. And for me, I knew that I had to do everything in my power to become the best triathlete in the world because I was desperate to prove to myself, most importantly to myself, that not only was I worthy and that I could achieve something special even as a gay woman, but that like I could be loved and I could make a difference in this world. That's Siri Lindley. You may know of her because she has absolutely dominated the sport of triathlon as both an athlete and a coach. But before she found success in her career, she was controlled by deep-seated insecurity. In fact, as a young adult and student at Brown University, she was so plagued by her own fears, she could barely function. So when I was 20 years old, I was going to Brown University in Rhode Island, and I was an absolute mess. I was truly terrified in my own skin. And I felt like a crazy person because I was so overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and I didn't know how to deal with it all. Now, keep in mind, I'm a three-sport athlete. I'm a field hockey player, ice hockey player, and lacrosse player at Brown. I'm getting straight A's. So on the outside, it looked like I had it made in my life and everything's great and I must be so happy. But on the inside, I mean, I was, I was slowly dying and slowly giving up on myself and being too afraid to wake up in the morning and take on another day. And this OCD, this, this terrible, insane case of OCD where literally I specifically remember trying to leave my dorm room to go to a lacrosse game. And I would be so anxious and so fearful that I'd be putting my socks on and off like 10 times or 15 times until I felt like it was safe to leave them on this time, that nothing horrible was going to happen this time when I put my socks on or washing my hands, you know, for 10, 15, 20 minutes sometimes and flicking the lights on and off in order to get these horrible fears and thoughts out of my mind. And no one knew anything about what was going on inside of me except me. And I, I not only didn't like the person that I was, but I was terrified of her. Siri's fear had spun out of control, and it got to a point where she was even contemplating taking her own life. I really was trying to come up with ways that I could just end my time on this planet. And 
that's a really horrible feeling. It's a really scary feeling to think that not being around would be easier than what you feel existing. But one night, everything changed for Siri. She was in the Brown University Library and stumbled upon Tony's book, Personal Power. In a desperate search for something, anything, to make herself feel better, she read the entire book, all 452 pages of it, in one night. And it was that one night that changed the course of her life. The biggest revelation was understanding that I, me, I'm the only one that can change my experience of life. Life isn't just happening to me and you either are lucky and you're happy or you're unlucky and you're sad. We create our experience of life depending on what we're focusing on, the meaning we give things, and what we choose to do about it. I was focusing on everything I didn't want to have happen, so everything I was afraid of, focusing on fear. I was focusing on everything that I felt was missing, and I was focusing on everything that I had absolutely no control over. So you can imagine when you have your thought pattern is all based on this lack and fear and and everything that you want to avoid. I mean, no wonder I was feeling as horrible and sad and crazy as I was. And when I realized that these irrational fears had suffocated me, paralyzed me, like literally I was sabotaging my whole entire life to the point that I didn't want to live it anymore. That's how powerful that fear was. But what I realized is that instead, I knew that I couldn't release fear altogether, but I I was determined to let go of fearing things that I had no control over, fearing things that made no sense. That night, Siri made the decision to let go of her fears. She also set a goal for herself that was not only risky, but seemingly impossible. She set a goal to become the best triathlete in the world. For me, I knew that I had to do everything in my power to become the best triathlete in the world because I was desperate to prove to myself, most importantly to myself, that not only was I worthy and that I could achieve something special even as a gay woman, but that I could be loved and I could make a difference in this world and I could inspire other people like this was This was a desperate mission for me. So I didn't care how afraid I was. Nothing was going to stop me because a risk was worth taking. But there was one small problem. I didn't know how to swim. I was 23 years old. How did I expect to be the best in the world when at that level, I mean, it's, it's former Olympians, it's former Olympic swimmers, and I'm just learning how to swim. Yes, I was terrified, but I also knew that, like, to me, I felt like fear is the universe saying, take this on. This matters. Everything great in your life is going to be on the other side of this fear. Step in. So Siri stepped into her fear. She got herself a coach, moved to Boulder, Colorado, and then to Australia, where the best triathletes in the world were training. She surrounded herself with people that were better than her including world champion triathlete McKeeley Jones, and modeled them. You want to achieve something spectacular? Well, find someone that's already done what you're dreaming of achieving and do what they do. I needed to, like, you know, watch her rituals and her habits and eat like she ate and train like she trained. And my God, it took me to a whole new level to where I was racing pro and um, coming in, you know, top 15 in the world at the time. 
after years of training, Siri had the opportunity to go to Switzerland and work with renowned coach Brett Sutton to prepare for the Olympic trials. And what happened on her first day of training, she never could have imagined. I get to Switzerland and oh my God, it's day one. First of all, the camp is 20 miles up this massive mountain that's like a wall and with switchbacks. And I get a knock on the door in the morning. He's like, we're going swimming. The pool's, you know, down at the bottom of the mountain. I thought, okay, cool. You know, I ride my bike downhill. That's easy. Get down there and I swam double, uh, double the longest swim I'd ever done in my life. And the whole entire swim was so hard. I could barely breathe. I felt like I was drowning. By the end, I could barely turn my arms over. We finish a swim and, and we get out and we've got our bikes. And, and I look over at my friend and I'm like, hey, where's Brett? Where's the van? How are we going to get home? And she laughed at me and she said, are you kidding? You ride home. And I'm thinking, ride home? I don't even know if I can stay seated on my bike, like up that steep a hill. And so I made my way up that hill and it was the most brutal two hours of climbing to go 20 miles. My legs are just blowing up, just feeling like they're exploding. Get to my room. I'm about to start making my lunch, knock on the door again. And it's Brett. We're going running, be upstairs five minutes. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like I've trained, you know, four hours already today and I'm dying. And I got home that night and I was in floods of tears. I could barely walk. I was dehydrated. I called home and I'll never forget. My mom was saying, hey, Siri, don't be afraid. You passed the test. It was a test. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Well, it wasn't just a test because the next day it was the same exact thing. The day after that, same exact number of hours, the brutality of it. It was just agonizing. I cried every single day in the swimming pool. I'd have tears filling up my goggles. I I didn't know how I was going to survive this. It was physically just agonizing. But the brilliant part of this is, this is week after week after week. And and I'll never forget one day, I just, I showed up at practice and I could barely walk. And I said to him, I I was afraid to go up to him, but I, I found the courage. And I said, Brett, I can't do what you're asking me to do today. I can't move. And he looked at me and he kind of looked at the door as if to say, well, you can either leave or find a way. And I knew in that moment that there was no getting out. There was no turning back. It was finding a way, finding whatever I had inside of me and pulling that out and doing the best that I could to get it done. And it was brilliant because, I mean, think about it. How can we ever know what we're truly capable of? if we're not trying to do what we don't think we can every single day. And that means being afraid and doing it anyway. Yes, you're gonna be afraid of failing. You're gonna be afraid of not being able to do it. You're gonna be afraid of being rejected or whatever it is, but you've got to try, you've got to do it anyway. And what kept me going was that why, that that this was for me, this wasn't for anyone else. This was for me that if I could prove that I had the toughness and, and the courage and the ability to grind through and, and accomplish everything that he was asking me to do, I truly felt that I would find that love and that respect for myself, that appreciation that I'd been so desperate for, for a lifetime. Siri went on to win 13 World Cup races, the World Cup series in both 2001 and 2002, and she was inducted into the Triathlon Hall of Fame. In the end, she realized that what she thought she was afraid of all along 
every single fear she overcame throughout her training, those were just symptoms of a much bigger fear. My biggest fear all along has been accepting me. And when I finally decided to do that, my whole life changed. I, was, I found love, I found success, I found everything. It's kind of like the gift of choosing to be fearlessly, authentically you. For many people, making the choice to be fearlessly, authentically you is clear. They're facing a major obstacle or what appears to be an impossible goal, like Siri. For others, it's a matter of discipline, training your mind to overcome fear in the way that Tony described, by choosing to focus on what they can control. But for many people, fear isn't so obvious. You're about to hear again from Sonny McCandless, who you most likely know from the documentary Free Solo. But Sonny is not just a rock climber's girlfriend. She's an accomplished life coach who helps people make transitions in their career and their lifestyle. Listen as she explains her approach to helping people navigate through their fears, big and small, and how she herself dealt with a terrifying prospect of losing the man she loves. I think oftentimes what happens when somebody has a deep internal struggle going on is that they don't even really realize that that's the problem. For instance, you know, I have a client who uh, is, she felt really frustrated in her workplace and she felt frustrated in her workplace because she wasn't really drawing any boundaries. When somebody asked for something, she did it. When somebody blamed her for something that maybe wasn't even her fault, she said, I'm so sorry. You know, when, uh, when, when somebody piled something on her plate that was just going to be too much and, and cause her to be overworked, she just took that on. And, and when we kind of began to dig deeper into why that was happening, there was this thought deep inside her that, you know, if, if I draw boundaries, I'll be seen as difficult to work with and I won't get any opportunities. And this belief that if she acted a little bit more authentically or if she spoke up about how she was feeling or was her, you know, actually said out loud what she was thinking, that she might not be liked or she not, might not be deemed of worthy to be, you know, uh, might not be deemed worthy of being in that workplace. And so that, that, that fear, if I show up exactly as I am, I'll, I'll come up short, was influencing all of her actions in the workplace. It was making her career feel completely unmanageable. And so the questions that we ask are, honest, just, are honestly just peeling back each layer of internal doubt, you know, but, but why, why were you afraid to speak up in that moment? Oh, but why, uh, you know, just kind of continual asking, but where is that coming from? But where is that coming from until you get to the root thought, which was this, you know, this, um, I don't feel worthy. Right. And, and so I think that process, it, it looks slightly different with every client, but it's just continually digging deep until you kind of get to the root issue, because until you get to the root issue, you know, things tend to not change. So my process when somebody's had that breakthrough moment and they're like, oh my gosh, this is what's getting in the way the whole time. Some sort of internal doubt or internal fear. In my world, I call it like a gremlin. Like you've kind of uncovered your gremlin and, and you realize that most of the changes that you, like most of the change that you need to happen is actually internal and all about you and not about anyone else or any of the people you may have been blaming for, you know, X number of years. Once you've had that moment, Obviously, the first question is, well, what do I do about it? 
you know, I, I can't just snap my fingers and say, I do feel worthy, you know, of my workplace, or I don't have imposter syndrome, or, you know, you, it's, it doesn't happen like that. So, I mean, there's sort of innumerable tips and tricks that I would do to guide someone through that moment. But some of my favorites are first kind of identifying you know, a new mantra and something that you can believe. So for instance, let's say that you are afraid of asking for help in the workplace because deep down you're afraid that if you ask for help, somebody's going to realize you don't deserve to be there. Once we realize that that's what's going on, we can't just snap our fingers and and you can't just have this new identity of I'm the type of person that asks for help when I need it. That's not going to work. So what we do instead is we come up with something that is true, which might be something as simple as I'm learning to ask for help when I need it most. Or I'm learning to use the resources around me so that I can work more efficiently, right? Come up with something that you can get behind and begin telling yourself that new thought. Because if you've been identifying yourself as I'm the type of person that doesn't ask for help for the last 25 years in, the, in your career, it's going to be really hard to change. And we need to come up with some sort of new identifying sentence that you can get behind, these are just a few of the tactics that Sani shares with clients, the ways that she shifts their approach to achieve the outcomes they want. In many cases, though, the fear of failure requires more than a new approach. It requires a new mindset. When fear of failure comes up, either because it's happened in the past and they've experienced it, or because maybe they haven't yet. They've had a life where they've just sort of continually taken the next step and it's happened and it's unfolded. And this fear of failure has become almost like this giant monster that they're, that they're avoiding at all costs because they've never even really, they feel like they never even have failed. So for somebody who has experienced a big failure, for instance, I have a client who started a business that, that failed in his mind. It, 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 it tanked in a way that deeply almost caused trauma for him and and it was really impeding his ability to move forward with his next career step and so you know one of my favorite questions in that moment is just like what if every single thing in your life up to this moment was leading you to where you're going next and it's just this total reframe of like what if that happened for a reason what if everything, you know, all of the failures in your life were leading you to this moment and educating you somehow or guiding you somehow so that whatever comes next, you're way more prepared for it. And I find even just a simple reframe like that can be incredibly helpful. What some people don't realize is that Sonny shares a love of rock climbing with her partner, free solo climber Alex Honnold. And she's out there on the mountain with him nearly every weekend, bouldering, scrambling, rising, and falling, too. Listen as Sani helps us understand how every fall is just leading us to an ultimate success. Climbing is one of those sports where you fail far more often than you succeed. When you think about traditional sport climbing or bouldering, where your, you know, your goal is to you know, get to the top of a route, you fall way more times than you, than, than you send it, than you get to the top. And so it's a constant process of being like, what if every failed attempt was leading me to today and today I can do it? Um, yeah, I think that um, 
that self-coaching process is always more difficult. It's so it's so much harder to turn your own work inward. You know, I feel like I've worked with coaches and I always find it incredibly helpful just to get that small outside perspective. So I think that that idea of just like what if what if that happened for a reason and has prepared you even better for what's to come. Another strategy for fear of failure, I mean, is the simple mantra, you know, like, what if there were no mistakes, only learning opportunities? And it it sounds kind of cheesy. And, you know, I think there's always a little bit of a resistance when we hear that phrase of like, yeah, 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 it's an opportunity. But really deeply believing, what if I couldn't fail? I could, I, I could only be confronted with different learning opportunities. And just operating from that place that like, this is all trial and error. I find as adults, like, we are terrified of trial and error. We'll go into something that's brand new. And if we're not immediately innately good at it, we don't want to do it. Whereas as kids, you fail all the time. That's part of your daily experience is, is, is constantly trial and error. And you're very comfortable with that. And you expect that to be part of the process. And at some point we lose that. We lose that ability to see failure as simply part of the process. But what about Sonny's own fears? When Sonny met Alex, she knew he was determined to achieve the life-threatening goal of climbing El Capitan without ropes. And there was nothing she could do about it. But rather than fight Alex on the issue and put herself first, she made the decision to support his dream, despite her own fears. Here she is again, describing how she felt on the day of Alex's climb. I let every fear that I'd never let enter my brain for the last two and a half years enter on that drive. And I don't know why. I don't know why it was that moment. I don't know why it didn't hit me before the first attempt. It was weird. It it hit me on the day I drove out of the valley right before he actually decided to do it. And um, it was it was awful. It was, it was a really painful experience, and I was terrified. But the morning of the actual climb, there was a sense of calm. And I think the sense of calm was just a total relinquishing of control. At this point, it was unfolding. And all I could do was wait. There was nothing I could do. There was nothing he could do. It was happening. And so it created a sense of peace and calm that hadn't existed up to that point. So I knew roughly how it was going. I knew before each hard part of the climb, but mostly my friends just distracted me. I jo- I mean, it was funny, but they like, they like put a broom in my hands and they were like, clean the kitchen, make yourself useful, stop sitting around. You know, like it was just like a very like no frills environment. Like you just need to distract yourself. It's out of your control. And so, um, so I cleaned that morning. The Tony Robbins Podcast is a collection of interviews and stories and is produced by the Tony Robbins team. Copyright Robbins Research International.